Can I have all the mothers to stand up, please? Including the first lady, who loves to be called first lady. Uh, so I just wanted to say Happy Mother's Day to you all. Uh, thank you for everything that you do, um, the things that you get rewarded for, as well as the things that go overlooked. Um, just continue. If your child was anything, or is, or will be anything like me, I apologize. <laughs> but I want to encourage you to continue to, main, to remain faithful. Um, if your child is still living with you, or if he um, or she is out of the home, uh, please continue to be faithful. Thank you. Everyone, get him a hand. Don't sit down yet. Uh, if your oldest child is less, younger than five, you can have a seat. If your older child, if your oldest, I'm sorry, if your youngest child is younger than five, you can sit down. Just remain seated, Jess. If, <laughs> if your youngest child is younger than 10, you can sit down. Youngest child is younger than 15. Youngest is uh, younger. Y'all know what I'm saying. 15, have a seat. 20. 25. 30. Wow. 35. All right. Here we go. Miss Deborah, give her a hand. All right. All mothers stand up again. All right, now we got to do, if your youngest, who has the youngest child? Good grief. <laughs> if it's still in the womb, right, is, that a, is that an announcement? No? Okay. <laughs> Born, yeah. Still in the womb. That'll be done. There we go. In the womb. In the womb. <laughs> All right, let's uh, turn, turn to Psalm 51 and uh, go ahead and get started. Psalm 51 is the perfect passage to preach on on Mother's Day. It's really not. It's not. I just had to throw something in there right quick because when I was assigned to preach today, I didn't know it was going to be Mother's Day, so I had to make it work. <laughs> um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and make sure to get one to you. Psalm 51. <clears throat> I'm going to read the, the whole chapter. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will, then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to, um, to just be able to go before you. Thank you for the veil being torn in two. Just pray for us as we are um, looking at Psalm 51. Pray that you will convict us. Pray that you will encourage us. Lord God, I pray that um, you will use me to convey your truths despite of me. Your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So there's a reason why I'm preaching on Psalm 51. Um, one, like I said, is when I planned this, I didn't know it was going to be Mother's Day, so that's that. Uh, a second thing is we have a number of college students in our church who um, may be going home for the summer to take a break or for some time. And if you've ever been away from home, especially as a Christian, you know how, um, just how it can be how spiritually draining it could be, how it seems to be in a spiritual desert. So I want to take some time to, to speak to those people. Third reason is we have a number of people in our church who will be leaving over the next couple of months, whether that's graduating, um, relocating, taking another job. And um, I say this with a smile on my face, not because I'm ready to see you go, or that I want you to leave, because if it were up to me, we'll all stay here and hold hands in a circle and sing Kumbaya. <laughs> but I truly believe that um, we as human beings, we, we, we plan our ways, but it's the Lord who orders our steps. And I believe that we could be used by God wherever we are. So um, take some time to speak to you as well. And the fourth reason is for everybody who didn't fall into those first two categories. So here we go. Let's go ahead and dive in. Um, <clears throat> I'm from, if you don't know, I'm from the L.A. area. It's lower Atlanta, <laughs> a.k.a. the middle of nowhere, um, from Barnesville, Georgia. Before me coming up here, before meeting me, how many of you have heard of Barnesville, Georgia? Have you really, Raymond? How about that? Because yeah, you're cultured. That's why. Barnesville, Georgia is the buggy capital of the South. Like, that's good stuff. You need to know that. The buggy cap buggies, yeah, like horse and carriage, like buggies. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I grew up five minutes away from this street called Thomason Street. Now, Thomason Street had some absolutely amazing and beautiful houses. Three and floor stories. You know, it's in the south, and we kind of build across rather than up. So we had, uh, they have like half-acre yards and porches that wrap around. 
houses that Paul Newsom would take pictures at, and everybody is wanting to eat, but he's still taking pictures, and we're like, come on, Paul, let's go eat. And he's no, I gotta, but I gotta get, you know, Paul. <laughs> Just amazing houses. And so growing up, the goal, our goal was to have a house where? On Thomason Street. And the older, as I, as I got through life, the older that I got, and I was telling my parents all of these dreams, I'm going to have a, a five-figure salary, and I'm going to have this kind of wonderful car, and it's going to be great. Now, the older I got, I realized it, it just wasn't as easy to accomplish these, um, these goals that I had in these dreams. And you fast forward to the age of 28, and I am working in 1411. <laughs> 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 it's not a shot. Um, <laughs> but I'm saying that, that to say this, that I quickly found out that life isn't as easy as we sometimes think that it is. Amen? So let's look at this from, from the Christian perspective, because the Christian life isn't as easy as we think it would be either because of this. How many of you played sports or did any kind of extracurricular activities in high school or in college or anything like that? All right. So you know that in order to participate in whatever you did, you had to do the same work that everybody else did as well as train or practice or be involved in whatever the extracurricular activity that you were in. And it's the same way with Christianity, right? I mean, we, we, we are Christians. We, we live in this world. We are definitely a part of it, but we go through the same things that other people go through. We have, if, if, if everyone in here um, would share five of their worst experiences and life stories, and, and life stories, a lot of you guys would be in tears and in shock because you had no idea that such and such was dealing with that. Life is hard for the Christian. It's hard to be a faithful believer in the world who is headed this way, and we're fighting to, to get to God. Life is completely hard. Can anybody testify to that? Amen. Hey, so in this story, in this psalm, um, what led us here is in, can be found in 2 Samuel um, 12 or 17, I can't remember. But it's a story uh, when, so David, right, David was the king. And they were supposed, he was supposed to be in battle with the army. And David decides to chill at home or in his palace. And he's out on his roof, and he sees a woman by the name of bathing. So he looks down, and he says, okay, I want her. It wasn't his wife. It was just David being in sin and being, um, being selfish and throwing around his power and abusing his power. So they go and get Bathsheba, and Bathsheba comes up, and they have sex. He gets her pregnant. Now David is stuck. Oh, man, what in the world do I do now? Because her husband is away at war. Then David says, got it. I'm going to get her husband to come home, and if he's been out on the battlefield, course he'll have some sexual desires and urges and he'll go home and he'll lay with his wife I can pin this whole baby on him so her husband comes home and her husband is actually the honorable man in this story because he was not not supposed to to lay with his wife and he refused to do it so went back he uh, Uriah goes back out to battle that's Bathsheba's husband 
and David puts him on the front line. Now, you don't need to be a uh, rocket scientist or army specialist or whatever to know that if you're on the front lines, 10 times out of 10, you're going to die. And so that's what happened to Uriah. So not only has David committed adultery, but he is now a murderer as well. So Nathan, this no-name prophet, comes to David, and he gives him this story and about a, a rich man who had a lot of um, rich man who had everything, and his uh, he stole from a poor guy. And David said, "In the name of God, this man shall surely die." And Nathan said, "But you are the man." And basically calling David out on the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba and against Uriah. And now what we just read and what we'll be talking about today is David talking to God. Now this passage is one of the most beautiful gifts that we have as Christians and as the church because it shows us how to repent shows us how to turn away from our sin. And this is an interaction, a beautiful interaction between David and his creator. So let's go ahead and dive in. And let me say this. I I said what what David did as far as committing adultery and um, being responsible for the murder of Uriah. But it's not limited to those two sins. So as you sit here, if you don't struggle with either one of those things that David did, don't be so quick to think that you can't find yourself in this situation or feeling these same thoughts that David feels. David says in verse 5 that I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, in sin did my mother conceive me. Hey, that's a Mother's Day passage. Every, <laughs> there it is. Every beautiful baby that is born was born into sin. But no, this, this does speak to, um, to our depravity, to our default state apart from God, right? So all of us have, by nature, we are, are sinners. Ephesians 2, 3, by nature, we are children of wrath. So by nature, in our default setting, when we're dealing with a situation that we don't necessarily want to deal with, and I'm speaking as Christians, when we're dealing or when we're in a situation and we refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit and to God, we handle that situation by going to our default state, something that is innate, something that is within us, something that is inherently in us, and we don't even have to think twice about doing it. And this is where David found himself, and this is where we often find ourselves when we choose to ignore the Holy Spirit and to ignore God. We find ourselves doing what we know to do. And David acknowledges the fact, he doesn't use this as an excuse, but he acknowledges the fact that he is a sinner. He acknowledges the fact that he is not without sin. He acknowledges the fact that from his great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, 
that he has inherited the same sin nature. As we go on to verse, jump to verse 10, David is, is, is talking to, to God. Let me rewind right quick. Uh, verse 4, he says, against you, talking to God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He sinned against God. He also sinned against Bathsheba, and he also sinned against Uriah. But David has the understanding of, yeah, I, I did mess up with them, but ultimately, I sinned against my creator. This is the clay talking to the potter, and he is saying, I have sinned against you. Psalm 51 is one of those passages that we can kind of get, we kind of, if, if, if you've been a Christian or uh, in, for a while, you kind of know this passage, right? So it's kind of easy to go through it without realizing what's exactly going on right here and seeing the heart of a man who has sinned against his creator and is in shambles over his sins. I mean, it's cool to read this passage when we slip up, whether that be sexually or whether that be something within our mind, and we quickly read through this and think, okay, I'm good. But David had a heart that was broken because of his sins. In the same way that our sins should break our hearts. If you're a college student or if you're going away for the summer, there are going to be some times if you don't protect yourself and where you don't depend on God that you're going to go and lean on your default state. So in, in, in a sense, Psalm 51 is in, 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 in the context in which David wrote it, it's reactionary. But we can take it as a precaution as well, right? So as you go home and, and as you travel to wherever you're going for the summer, just keep in mind that Sin is at the door, laying, ready to devour you. Right now as we speak, the enemy is plotting a way to trap you into sin and to attempt to claim your soul. And as I was preparing this message, oh my goodness, yo, I, I was convicted as much as I was encouraged. Because no one is exempt from it. The person who is the the most godly person in this room is not exempt from being attacked by his or her own pride and by the enemy. And David's response to this, in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. So David is acknowledging who, what he needs, And more importantly, who he needs to get it from. So he's saying, oh God, create in me a clean heart. He doesn't simply say, modify the heart that I already have. He doesn't say, change my heart. He doesn't say, amend my heart. He doesn't say, improve my heart. But he says to create in me a clean heart. The same way that he created Adam and Eve from ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's the same way that I need for you to create for me a clean heart. Old preachers, where I'm from, said that we are saved, we've been saved, we are being saved, and that we will be saved. Biblically, in theological terms, we know, uh, know that as justification. We were saved. We are being saved, which is 
sanctification, and we will be saved, which is glorification. And in this sanctification right now, David is saying, Lord, create in me a clean heart in the same way that you justified me. In the same way that you took something that was dead and gave it life. It's in the same way that I need for you to create in me a clean heart. And why did David need God to do that? He says it throughout this chapter. He said, if you, um, you will not delight in sacrifice, because if you did delight in sacrifice or in my works, <laughs> then I would have already did that. But you don't delight in my works, so I need for you to give me a clean heart. And not only give me a clean heart, but to renew a right spirit within me. A, a spirit that is, that is steadfast, a spirit that will not be so easily shaken, a spirit that won't fail easily. Lord, I need for you to give me strength to pursue you. Give me strength to please you. Within myself, I don't have the ability to do anything else but screw up, as I have done. So I need for you to give me this strength. And another reason that he asked God for a clean heart, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the, the heart is deceitful above all things. So in order to please you, in order for you to be pleased with me, this has to be something that you do. In verse 11, he says, cast me not away from your presence. The Bible is clear on whether or not we can lose our salvation. The Lord sustains those who he calls. How is it that a man who has the title of a man after God's own heart is afraid to be cast away from God. Sin should break our hearts so much, especially if we keep committing the same sin. If, if you've been there, you know about it. You commit the same sin and you're dealing with the same thing and you feel like there is no way that God will continue to forgive me. This is where David is right now. His heart is broken because of his sins. And he's saying, God, please do not cast me away from your presence. God, I, I, everything about me needs you right now. I cannot do this on my own, Lord. I'm begging you. Please do not cast me away from your presence. When you sin, when you find yourself falling short of what God has required, do you arrogantly repent and ask him for forgiveness with the mindset of he has to forgive me? Or is your heart truly broken over your actions And you're begging God to not take his spirit away from you and to not remove himself from you. It should be the, the position 
of all believers when we go to God and ask him for forgiveness. Verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. <laughs> you remember that moment that, 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 that you saw your sin, you saw yourself in light of a holy God who is perfect, who is righteous, who is without fault, who is your creator, who is your sustainer. You saw yourself truly as the clay in the hands of a potter. And the God of wrath. And you saw your need for a savior. You remember that moment? And the joy that came along with knowing I am forgiven and accepted by God. Does anybody remember this moment? That was a, 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 a joy and, and, and a happiness that came along with that to where you were running all around and getting on your friends' nerves and they didn't want to have anything to do with you and you're getting on your family's nerves because you're telling them about all this kind of stuff. You were happy because of your salvation and happy that God will finally accept you now because of his son and the wrath that he poured out on his son. And David is saying here, uh, restore to me the joy of my, my salvation. God is a, a, a God of, of restoration. We are never too far away to be forgiven by God or to be restored by God. And God is, and, and, and David is realizing all of this. In his sin, as he is probably outside of Peter, who denied Jesus, committed some of the most heinous acts that we've seen in, in the scriptures. Some of them, some, a lot of stuff that's going on there. But, but David is understanding who he is as it compares to a holy God. Now, some ways that we can... Because I, when we sin, we, we typically find ourselves um, in a state of spiritual depression. Has anybody ever been there? All right. Some ways that we can pull ourselves out of this is by the natural means of grace. So that looks like surrounding yourself around other believers who have gone through the same thing that you've gone through who are spiritual and people who can encourage you. This is why the church is so, you know, I can't talk about anything without talking about the church and the importance of it, so let's go ahead and get this out of the way. <laughs> this is why God has given us the church, so that we may confess our sins to one another as well as be encouraged by one another. When we have Sunday schools, we don't have them just to say that, hey, we have Sunday school. Like, we have them because we believe that people can benefit from them and be encouraged in their day-to-day -day lives. When we um, are inviting people to, to, to small groups and to community groups, it's not just to, for our numbers to be great, but it's actually because we believe and we have seen fruit of people who have been encouraged in their faith and who have grown in grace because of the interactions that we have. A small group. Now, let me tell you what I'm not saying. The, the church, she is, she's not always the prettiest. She hasn't always been. We can take it back to the Crusades and, 
and, and, and other things that people have done in the name of Jesus that just weren't a good representation of them. By a show of hands, how many people have not been hurt by a Christian? By a Christian. <laughs> Was essentially the church. It's everybody who has, everybody has been in some type of way offended and hurt by Christians. And this is something that we own up to and we, we accept this. And, that, and, and, and we apologize for it as well. So I'm not saying that we have everything together and that we're perfect. But I am saying that God has given us the church for the church. So that we may spur one another to good works. So that we may encourage one another when we have fallen and when we will fall. See, sometimes in spiritual depression, here's how it goes, right? You sin, and you start shying away from the church or people who, um, people who may have your best interests at heart. You start shying away from them because you feel that um, because they ha- uh, possibly handled the situation wrong in the past or um, you're probably just ashamed, whatever the case is, you just find yourself separating from them. And then you just disappear. Or you put this big wall up that creates more distance between you two. There is no way that you can get restored in that way. It's not possible. Because you're going to find yourself drifting off into a dangerous territory a territory that I've been in, a territory that friends of mine have been in. So my encouragement, look, I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult, but I encourage you to um, reconsider that method and to come home to your first love, who is God, and the church that he has given you. For people who, um, who are moving away, I encourage you as well, as soon as you get wherever you're going, to, to find a church. Because one of, the, one of the things about depression as well, um, sometimes when we move and when we re- relocate, sometimes we kind of make an, an idol out of this utopia. So we think that just because we're getting away from somewhere or, you know, that we're, that we're going across country or whatever, that it's going to be completely wonderful. And we, we start to idolize this. And then when it doesn't deliver in the way that we expected it, expected it to deliver, or it doesn't produce the joy that we expected it to produce, we find ourselves in a slump. So this is kind of a, kind of somewhat expected if you're moving along, but at the same time, if you're moving on, but at the same time, this is why this is precautionary, because in the same way, even if you haven't sinned, you can say, oh God created me a clean heart. Whenever you go where you go, it's, it's completely difficult to, um, to, to, to be encouraged if you don't have the mindset that you're on mission. We were talking about this in our community group Wednesday. We have to remind ourselves that, that we are on mission, that we are to be a light wherever we are and whatever community that God has placed us in and whatever, wherever city that the Lord has put us. Similarly to Jeremiah in 29, People always talk about the verse that says, you know, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to da 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 
But in that same chapter, Jeremiah is saying, seek the welfare of the city and plant yourself there because you're going to be there for a while. And I don't know how long you'll be where you are, but the, the whole idea is wherever you are, seek the good of that city and to put yourself in a church that will care for you and will shepherd you. There was a, a, a member who came here within this past year, and they knew that they'd only be here for in the States for a couple of months, but their understanding was, while I'm here, I have to submit myself to a church who can shepherd me and watch over my soul. I was so encouraged by that. So encouraged by that. Just understanding who the church is and what the church is for. Verse 17, David says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Our whole goal here in this Christian life is to have a heart that breaks over our sins. A heart that is tuned in to God and understand who we are apart from God. And also to understand that there is nothing that we can do to offer God outside of his son who he has provided us with. And he says, if, if, if David says, if you have this heart, he's, he's understanding, if I have this heart, Lord, there is no way that you can reject this. It's not a heart that's filled with pride. It's not a heart that's filled with I, 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 and me, 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 and look what I can do for you. But it's a heart that understands that you are my creator, and you are my God. You are my master, and I am your bond servant. In this life of, of hills and valleys, it's only God who sustains us through this. As we're being sanctified in our humanity, on this side of heaven, on this side of, of glory, we must keep in mind apart from the grace of God, we are absolutely nothing. Apart from the grace of God, there is nothing that we can do to please God and to serve God. There is a big gang in Baltimore. What's the biggest gang in Baltimore? It's an initial, I mean, acronym. BGE. It's the biggest gang in Baltimore. Baltimore Gas and Electric Company. Racketeering at its finest. (laughs) When you have a a, a bill that's due with BGE, you pay it. Because if you don't pay it, it's going to be consequences and repercussions, right? So you, you deposit something into that account. 
And BGE has got, like, BGE, if, yeah, when your stuff about to get cut off, like, they send a letter to you. And you... <laughs> They send a letter to you. And you know, like when you get, you know how you, you get a letter and you find out your bill, you're, you're, something is about to get cut off or some kind of service is about to be suspended. You know, it's a lot of times, like when they send credit cards and debit cards, they don't send, you know, who it's coming from outside of. It's just kind of like this, this envelope that's, that's blank. BGE, not only, you know, it has BGE on, but it says on the bottom for everybody to see. You know what it says, Tupac? <laughs> It says something like this um, is, needs to be dealt with quickly because this is a turnoff notice. I mean, it says it on the outside. Like, they don't even try to hide it. Good, yeah, this is gangster. This is racketeering. But in the same way, like, and in, in, in when we drive a car, in order to drive a car, unless you have a solar-powered car, you have to have gas. So when we need gas in the car and we're driving around, we get it, right? We have to pay our BGE bill to keep our lights on. We pay it, right? Why is it that when we are empty of those things that are spiritual, we don't feel like we need to do something to uh, restore that? Or we, we feel like we don't need to, to, to invest into our lives spiritually. Which leads to states of depression. All I'm saying is invest in yourselves spiritually. It makes no sense to drive a car that is on E. I remember a time in my life when I was, I was going through uh, bouts of depression and going through cycles of sin, and I knew that something needed to change, but I didn't change it. And I went to that, my, my default state. I went to the, the, the me apart from, 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 from the direction and the spirit of God. I, 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 I um, distanced myself from, from believers and, and from Christians and would stay away from the church. Because I just didn't want to do what it took on my side to pour into my relationship with God. What I'm urging you to do and to continue to do if you haven't, or, or if you have been doing, is to pour into yourself with the spiritual um, disciplines in which we've been provided with. So reading the, reading the Bible, praying, fasting, um, journaling, anything that we can do to, um, to build upon our relationship with God has to be done in order for us to grow. In verse 8, David says, let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. You know, when a, when a shepherd has a herd of sheep, and if the sheep keep wandering away, you know what the shepherd does to the legs of the sheep? He'll, he'll, he'll break them so that the sheep will stop running away, and he'll carry the sheep on his, on his shoulders. And it's the same way that, that God deals with us. David says, the bron- the bones that, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Whenever we're going through an issue, whenever we're in sin, God has a way of breaking us down so that he can build us up. So in closing, I want to say be encouraged in life. 
be encouraged in this Christian life as it is a difficult journey, and it can be very hard, and continue to press on and let the church be the church and serve you. Amen? Lord God, thank you for this time that we've had to spend together today. Um, I pray that we will see our sins. I pray that we'll see our need for a Savior. I pray that we will be um, convicted to um, do the things that, that we know to do. I pray that we'll find grace and peace in you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.